welcome to the Sundown Outdoors Predator Podcast. I'm your host, Drew Slim. We are here to talk all things predator hunting. If you're a predator hunter or wanting to become one, you are in the right place. On this podcast, we will talk with fellow predator hunters all over the United States about the gear and tactics they use to put more fur in the truck. All right, guys, thanks for joining me for episode 14. This is going to be the final episode for season one of the Predator Podcast. Just want to take a second and thank everybody for listening. And it's been an amazing, amazing year. Uh, Far and above exceeded all my expectations for uh, my first season of the podcast. I hope everybody was able to learn something along the way. If there's something that you want to hear on next season or a guest that you want to hear, I do have some great ones lined up already for next year. So uh, you're definitely going to want to look forward to next November when I start releasing new episodes going into the 2024 season. So find me on Instagram. As always, send me a message, Predator Podcast underscore Drew. Uh, follow along with me there in the off season. I'll start blowing everybody up with some turkey hunting content from here in Wisconsin here in uh, a few weeks too. So uh, give me a follow. Find me on Instagram, Predator Podcast underscore Drew. And this week on the final episode of the Predator Podcast, I have the entire O'Neill Ops crew. So I have James O'Neill, John O'Neill, and Keith Reesey. We are going to cover a bunch of different topics with the O'Neill Ops crew, and that's going to wrap up Season 1 of the Predator Podcast. So I'm already looking forward to Season 2. Everyone enjoy Episode 14 with O'Neill Ops. All right, guys. Uh, I am very honored tonight. I got the whole O'Neill Ops crew. I know most of you listened to my uh, first episode with James, and uh, we got talking, and we decided... Uh, we had the whole crew available tonight, so I got James, John, and Keith, the whole crew from O'Neill Ops, so I'm uh, pretty pumped to sit down with these guys tonight and talk coyote hunting, talk some equipment, some reloading. Uh, we're going we're gonna to kind of cover some things all across the board, so uh, thanks to these guys for joining me, and uh, how are things out in uh, the Dakotas? Snowy. Snow and wind right now. <laughs> in mud. Yeah. Jeez. Uh, snow, wind, and mud? Yeah. Yeah. We got so much snow, and then it started melting, and then it started freezing, and then we started snowing again. Just everything, man. Yeah. Yeah, that's a mess. Uh, can you guys give us maybe run around the table quick? Give us kind of a rundown, uh, just kind of who you are and – um you know, what your, you know, I guess not necessarily your role, but what, you know, kind of what brought you into, you know, the, the world of coyote hunting, um, something along those lines, anything you feel like saying about yourself, uh, be, it'll be interesting to hear just a little bit from each of you quick. Uh, we can start with you, James, you, uh, I know you're on here before, but start with the boss. Yeah, dude. Yeah. You can start Um, with the boss. Uh, yeah. So I, my name's James O'Neill and yeah, I remember we did a podcast. How it wasn't very long ago. Was it a couple months ago? Probably we did one. Yeah. Yep. Probably two months ago, month and a half. Yep. And, uh, so I do a lot of film work 
have the O'Neill Ops YouTube channel. I've got an FFL and SOT. So I do some firearm sales, a, a lot of different things that we could go into, but farm and ranch, fourth generation, and, um, you know, kind of take a unique look at what we do regarding filming and hunting from a different standpoint. You know, it's more of a lifestyle versus a hobby for us. And it's kind of a cool way to present uh, the that specific aspect, that lifestyle visually with video. So that's, you know, I mean, there's a lot of things that I could explain or go into details on kind of what I do, but I'll let, I think that most of the guys that listen to the first podcast, if they haven't, they could go back and, and get more details, but I'll let Keith and John go into some explanation on what they do and what they're part of. Yeah, I'm Keith Risty. Um, born and raised here, uh, grew up here, went away for college for a few years, but uh, I guess my family's ranch is what five miles cross country from here. So me and James are pretty close to the same age. We grew up hunting coyotes together, little small contests, different things like that. Um, but yeah, I, I, like I said, I went away for a little while, college, uh, came back. I own a business in town, which is about 30 miles from here. And, uh, I drive out here about every day, coyote hunt every day of the, every, every day, all winter long. So, been doing it for i don't know since we were eight nine ten years old i guess we're old enough to see over the steering wheel to drive yeah so awesome, <clears throat> awesome. yeah i'm john o'neill and james's little brother um just just like james i some of my oldest memories i remember getting into coyote contests with dad and as soon as james started doing his o'neill ops thing then i started following him around with his little hd handy cam and recording him shoot coyotes with his freaking 308 super sass just blowing shit up and then just from there they just progressed yeah awesome that's cool uh i actually never knew that part uh about keith you know i was i was kind of thinking about that when we were we were uh joining or gonna do this i was thinking man where does keith fall into this picture he's always on been on the videos you know i always see him on you know been following him on instagram for years and i'm like yeah. man i wonder we're all I'm, I'm i'm james and john's cousins yeah. so we're all we're all related oh so but yeah cool. that's live you know five miles from from here and right and even like keith's little also, brother i remember kyle calling with him just because yeah. cousins and being yep. close together yeah and actually for sure yeah yeah But yeah, oh, that's, that's kind of really kind of the rundown cool. on on how how everything's put together, I guess. Yeah, totally. So, uh, can you get? Do you guys know when did you first get thermal, and when did you first start your test testing out the the night hunting deal? Dude, I know that James in college, right, spent a whole bunch of money on his first night vision. I had a, I had Gen One when I was in high school. Like right when Gen Two was just coming out, I have I've I've been I've just been in, on that way before. Mo- you know, I've just always enjoyed that stuff, and I got an old Gen yeah. One. It was like an Aries MK seventy seven hundred. Uh, like I said, I was early high school when I got it, and then took a step up to a Gen Three. But the, at the time, that was really. Sc- 
sketchy regarding the regulations, what you could do yeah. with it, which I wasn't actively hunting with it really. It was just more of a coolness factor. I just wanted to have it. I right. just wanted to have the, te- I just wanted to be able to see in the dark. And I mean, yeah. I, I had it mounted on an AR on my, I, my dad had an old uh, pre band before Clinton got in and um, I put it on an AR and shot rabbits and shit with it, you know, but never, I, I was too young to really, I mean, this was well before I, I even thought about doing what we're doing now, but it, it, it was a really good way. It was a, an awesome introduction to, to what we're doing. It's so I, you know, I was, I was, I don't want to say well-versed, but I was definitely used to the technology regarding night vision. And then when thermal became available, then, you know, that's a whole nother ball game. How long, how long ago was it? We started, have we been running thermal 10 years? No way. No. Six, maybe. I know. Probably. I know the first year we started running thermals. We were like, holy shit, this is We insane. were so gun-ho. We, I mean, which we still are, but yeah, there was, we would watch, we would see the sun come up. You know? We went so hard that I had to stop wearing contacts because I couldn't take them out of my eyes. They would stick in my eyes. <laughs> yeah, it was. Did they was... have bang then? No, <laughs> no. What? What? Five hour energies, maybe? Yes, that was back when we played. Uh, when we played amateur baseball, and we yeah. would drink just two, three, four, five hour energies me, at a time. Would. I'd like to take a quick second to talk to you guys about Dark Knight Outdoors. As you guys know, Dark Knight Outdoors is partnering with me this year for the podcast, and I couldn't be luckier to have them join me. Just a couple of the things that drew me to Dark Knight Outdoors, uh, they will match match pricing. They don't have any sales tax outside of Illinois, and quick and free shipping, no credit card fees, and you get a free external battery pack with a quality mount to come with your purchase and not to mention if you use code predator podcast 23 at checkout on a thermal optic you're going to save fifty dollars so you're basically going to be able to price match uh, to the best price you are able to find and then save fifty dollars on top of that also if you're in the market for accessories uh, he jamie has so many different accessories down there dark night outdoors can also use the code PPACC23. So that's PPACC23 to save 25% off all accessories. So go down to the show description and look at Dark Knight Outdoors website and you'll not be disappointed. Yeah. But yeah, we we would I mean, I I remember there was there was times it was so cold and windy. I, I got up and walked off of the set one time and we were running, it was all rimfire. Then we couldn't, we couldn't run anything more than a rimfire. And I think I had a 17. Really? Yeah. 17 HMR. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and I got up and walked off a set. I was so cold. My, my hands were freezing to the gun. And I, as I got up to walk off, James was still shooting at coyotes. That's funny. Or, <laughs> or like when it gets so late, I'd fall asleep on the set and you guys would leave me. Yeah. And I'd wake up an hour later and you guys would be oh, pick up oh. where it's warm. We had, we had a kill box set up. And, loophole. Yeah, it was yeah. called Loophole. And, and it was a big, big pile of snow that we pushed up, I believe. Yeah. And we dug a tunnel through it. So we'd shoot through the tunnel. So we just laid on the, on the, <coughs> excuse me, the backside of the big snow pile. And we'd shoot through this tunnel. Well, we put some hay on the ground and we'd just lay there for hours. 
and nothing was coming in. And James and I got up and walked off and left John sleeping there. I bet he laid there for an hour. Oh, we man. walked back to the pickup and just sat there waiting. We'd him. sit in the pickup <laughs> and look out the window and see if he's still passed out, like half of 4,400 yards away, and he's yeah. still laying there passed out. Yeah, we've had some crazy, crazy stories with thermals, you know, out all night. So, yeah, it's it's uh it's not for the week. I uh, did a contest uh, this like maybe a month ago or so, and we hunted, you know, all night into the morning and. I don't know how people do uh do that every weekend and um every you know, weekend or, or, <laughs> you mean seven days or a every week. day <laughs> yeah. yeah exactly exactly yeah. what i was just gonna say yeah and, we, uh, we, we, we'd say we turn into uh into vampires yeah i can totally imagine about what that's like and uh when you're running on nothing but caffeine you know yeah i can i can imagine uh so you mentioned the rimfire thing so that was was that the regulations then? You could only run them on rimfire. Yeah, That's the way it started, yeah. and it still is to an extent. Wow. That that those those regulations still apply to any kind of artificial light. So if you have a oh, light, okay. you you have to use a rimfire shotgun. So does that does that apply to night vision with an illuminator too? Yeah, you can't use the you can't use the center fire with night vision. I didn't know that. that. Yeah, no. No go. Did not it's, if it's got huh. an, any kind of artificial light on it, yeah. So, so what if it's not illuminated? What then if it's you, then you then you're good? Yeah. Well, good. that's pretty freaking. That's, that's how that's that's how that's how politics work. They're no, they're yeah. idiots, dude. They they have no. They literally have no clue. They're 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 they, they all need to be. They all need to be <laughs> removed. Now. They all need to be removed from office, and people that have a legit idea of what life's about need to be in there for term limits, one year, two years, and then right. get out. And that you know that's how it goes yeah yeah here it's uh you can't use any light well i guess okay you can but you can use it at point of kill so you can turn it on and you can shoot yeah. you know okay. so, Fuck. so <laughs> like a lot of people yeah so a lot of people when they started out they would have a thermal scanner yeah you know and then you know they would obviously see the coyotes coming in and then turn the light on and shoot them and that's all you could do but really? it's changed now that sounds like it would be really hard to uh govern regulate whatever you want to call enforce oh for sure for sure you'd have to i mean you'd have to see someone you know physically scanning with a light or whatever um it would be it would be hard yeah enforce and and then and then they would still have to prove that you were scanning you go oh i I was shot at something and my light was going and you know i had coyotes coming in from all directions yeah (laughs) yeah true what state are you in? Wisconsin. Okay. Yep. So it's still sort of that way, but thermal's legal and everything else like that. So it's is there uh, caliber regulations? Nope, there's not. And, and as far as that caliber regulation, James James did that one year. He went to the to the state capitol and and fought that and got it all changed. Yeah, I actually did know that. You yeah. you should uh tell us about that because I bet not a lot of people not not a lot of people probably know that about James. Um but I I I've been uh following these guys with a close eye for years now and I I did know that. But uh I think uh that would be an interesting story to tell quick. Yeah, did did uh did we never so obviously we didn't go talk about that on the first podcast. Right. But um like to to make it within a couple of minutes 
it's exactly what we were talking about. So the regulations were you could not hunt at night with thermal or night vision. Well, thermal wasn't in there. So legally you probably could, but I wasn't going to be a guinea pig and find out. But um, legally you had to use rimfire or shotgun with any kind of artificial light and, and or night vision, because I'm assuming they thought that night vision had IR light, you know, some kind of infrared, but artificial light to, you know, do what it does. And that just doesn't work for what we were, you know, doing. And and to be honest, it just sucked because if you're going out checking cows at night, your spotlight and you see a couple coyotes out in your cabin lot, you should be able to freaking on your own ground, you should be able to whatever gun you have that you feel content shooting in your calving lot, you should be able to yeah. use to kill to, you. This is common sense. And anyway, long story short, we went to, uh, got, got a, a, a prime sponsor, a sponsor, uh, a legislature, a legislator to sponsor us basically fabricate a bill. And we got two bills passed Senate bill 58 first, which increased the lethality, I would say of the cartridge that you could use. It went from rimfire shotgun to being able to use a center fire two, two, four, um, which are they, I think in the books, it says two, two, five or under. And so that only pertains to thermal basically or night vision without IR. And then the next year I actually went back because there was a bunch of sportsmen that wanted to be able to have the same opportunity as kind of us. And as, as Senate bill 58 sat, it was a landowner and two guests could go legally. So the landowner basically had to accompany the guests, which, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of 50, 60, 70, 80 year old guys. Um, not, maybe not even men, maybe older women, or maybe even younger women that don't want to go, but they still need help, you know, with some problems and you couldn't do, you couldn't do that. You know, you you just couldn't do that unless they were physically with you. So we got it changed to where all you had to do was get written permission. And that really opened the door for non-landowners to move in and kind of have fun and take care of some problems and help be neighborly or, a hobby or what have you and that's yeah, kind of how it sure. that's that's that, that's kind of the rundown that makes total sense to me and that so was is the, is the caliber that, what's that is the caliber thing still uh is that still today yeah the yeah, caliber yeah. stipulation with thermal yeah yeah two two four two two four two two five or under diameter center fire under and the the last bill was house bill 1219 just so that's the for reference and i I, those are all documented or they're all in like a a online library where you can look all those up and actually even listen to the testimony if you want to so like you could yeah you can know that oh yeah you can it's it's all documented in the archives it's like i can't remember the website but you can you can hear all of it. I assumed that it was documented, but I didn't know that it was like an audio thing that you could listen yep, to. Yep. And and I mean, if you like, say, for example, if you went to South Dakota State Senate Bill SB 57 or House Bill HB 1219, there's new ones like for every year that probably have the same number. So you'd have to go back and reference the year that we actually passed them in order to find it. 
but it's interesting. It was, yeah. you know, it was a good experience. That's, that's, was a real good experience. For sure. Yeah. That's really cool. Really cool. I, I don't think there's a ton of people that can say they're in your shoes and, and got to, you know, pass, get a couple of bills passed to uh, benefit the, the fellow hunters, you know? It's yeah. Cool. And it, yeah, that is cool. And like, to be honest, I always say it, without bragging, it adds to some legitimacy. I mean, we might get called out for a lot of shit just because of the equipment that we use or like our persona, what we look like, you know, and it's like, dude, you know, we've done a lot of shit for the industry at our expense yeah. so that you can have fun doing it. Just, you know, recognize before you start talking shit. And so that you could have fun right. legally doing it. I mean, there's probably anybody could have just went out and freaking been a jackass about it and not used a rim fire, but now you can actually yeah. do something legally. Right. Totally. Yeah. And how many people can say that and how many people that uh, are going to poke at you and me and, and everybody else are, are going to go out and, and do something for the better of the sport and for the better of everyone else, you know, not, not very many. Probably. Exactly. Yeah, and yeah. that's James, James didn't have to do any of that. You know what he did. I mean, that was his time. It's two hours, two and a half hours, one way just to the state capital for every, every time we went up there. So, I mean, it was cool. And it's, it's good that, I mean, it's, it's, there's a lot of guys that'll just ride the coattails and reap the benefits of work that somebody else did. But, and that's just fine. That's how it works. That's what, that's, you know, it wouldn't have been done if we wouldn't have known that that was going to happen. But, but the funny thing is, is, you know, a lot of those guys that do that are the first guys to, you know, to badmouth you. If you, if they were in your shoes, they sure as hell wouldn't do it for you. Absolutely. Totally agree. All right. So uh-huh. I want to touch on uh, kind of if somebody comes to you, which I'm sure people do all the time. If somebody comes to you guys, uh, any of you and says, hey, I want to start out. I want to get started in reloading. Um, obviously, you know, reloading can can get, you know, pretty in depth. It can, you know, there's there's a lot of ways to skin the cat um, yeah. What from your from your guys's perspective, okay, somebody comes to you says, Hey, I'm, I'm a coyote hunter. You know, I'm a hunter. You know, I want to go, I want to load my own ammo for hunting. Um, where are you going to point someone and how are you going to maybe direct them or how have you directed them to get started? Oh, dude. The first thing that I would say is I would say, how many rounds are you going to shoot? I would say, watch a video and read get a get the manual and read that's i mean that's the first the best thing that you can do is get a basic understanding of what goes into it and how to go about it safely like you watch youtube videos on guys that know how to do it and that will just give you a really good visual perspective that you might not know Otherwise, you know, if you, if you're a complete newbie and novice to it, never been around it, watch videos, man. There's tons of stuff out there that's legit. And, or like I said, just get a a reloading manual and there's all the instructions right there. Read up on it before you start buying shit. Can you still find it? Can you still find videos of how to do it on YouTube? Are they all? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. There's, there's ultimate reloader. That guy does all. So I have a reloading video that you, I know that they all used to be up, but did they get pulled since YouTube's latest 
whatever rule installment they have there's a ton of them up still yeah there there is a lot i i watched a lot of the ultimate reloader and yeah he's uh, a good he's smart dude yeah he's a good dude yeah yeah he some of his stuff is too smart for me you know exactly yep yep i don't need to watch this one i'm just confused now (laughs) exactly yep (laughs) okay so which which i mean in today's world it's the same thing coyote hunting you know there's so many there's so many resources anymore on youtube and on the internet that you can go and and watch videos so that's you know that's a that's going to be a great starting point for anybody and then okay you get the you get you watch your videos you you decided okay yep i want to do this i want to spend the money to get you know whatever whatever i can afford whatever that may be okay what what's your next step Dude, I'd ask how many rounds they're going to shoot a year and what they're going to do. If they just want to reload just to be able to kill coyotes or just to be able to just to be able to be self-reliant, then yeah, dude, get a get a $200 Lee kit that has everything in it that you need and you're going to be better off than most people. But if you're going to try and get every inch of ac- every quarter inch of accuracy out of your stuff, then you probably want to get a little bit more in depth into your setup. Whereas like if you buy once, cry once, I mean, if you get that cheap kit, you're going to be trying to upgrade everything, but if you're only going to reload 50 rounds a year, then that's going to be perfect for you. Yep. For sure. The other thing that I would add to that is, you know, reloading is it's a job and it takes time. So I, I always encourage people is, you know, get what you can afford or, or go find someone that you know that reloads and, and sit down and actually physically do it with them and actually figure out that if it's something that you can do and will continue to do, because the worst thing you can do is say, yep, I want to do it buy all this, all the stuff, spend all this money. And then once you get it all put together, you figure out you hate it or you you don't want to do it or, you know, whatever it may be, you don't have the time, um, you know, all these different things. I would just encourage you to figure out if it's for you before, before you invest a whole bunch of money in, into it. Yeah. That's a really good uh, idea to uh, try someone's equipment out or try the process out. I know that I, I never had any of my own stuff. James got into it and got all his stuff and I used it and realized like, I like this. I don't like this. I would do this a little bit different. And I mean, that set me up just for success, just using his stuff before I bought my own. Yeah, totally. Totally. You can see that. And like, like you said, um, I actually wrote it down right when you were saying that time, your time involved or invested is essentially money. I mean, the, whether you could be doing something else to earn money or you could be doing something else to waste your time and have more fun. But that's the way that I look at it. Like I've had trimmers, case trimmers, everything from the first for the first one that I had that you could hook on to a Dewalt drill and that would trim your cases to an RCBS, sure. you know, all the way down. The RCBS was like, a, I mean, it wasn't bad, but it wasn't, it was good. I mean, it still is good for a lot of people, but now we go all the way up something like the draw case trimmer that does 
chamfers, deburs, and trims all at once. So in like half a second. Yeah, I mean, it'll eat off thousands of uh, of a stretched out case in in yeah, like a second or two seconds, and you're done. And that I mean, that's an eight hundred dollar piece of equipment. But am I yeah. ever going to recoup that money? I'm not going to ever recoup that money if I if I wanted to kind of you know run everything through the ringer and kind of evaluate the whole system but i would rather spend i have no problem spending that money and saving my time doing that and being ready to rock and roll hours ahead of time before sitting in right. trimming chamfering deburring by hand and taking an extra 20 minutes each reloading session and yeah. not that it's going to recoup your money faster but now you can do that in between every reloading as opposed to doing it every fifth time and you're still saving time, even though you're doing it five times more often. Yeah, you, right. you, you just get into so many more. Like John said, I, that's how I started. I had a, a Lee kit and it was just a manual scale tip, uh, you know, just a tipsy teeter-totter manual scale. And it took a long yep. time. But if you're only going to be shooting 50 rounds a year, if you're only going to be reloading strictly for the the sole purpose of your hunting season, where you might only shoot, you know, a white tail or a few deer or a couple targets or five rounds for zero and two rounds to kill something or or 10 or 20 coyotes a year, you don't need to invest that much unless you just want to, you know, so you have to evaluate want versus need. If you can afford it and you want to do it, man, hammer down, buy a whole bunch of good shit. And uh, if not, then just, you know, buy accordingly. Yeah, do get an area 419 zero press and a Prometheus freaking powder dispenser yeah. and a Gerard case. Trimmer. And you're in, you're in it, you're in it. Five, six, seven, eight thousand bucks, man. Now start looking at that. And you don't even have right. dyes yet or powder yep. or bullets. Yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. See, so this is this is the interesting one for me because my purpose of reloading changed, you know. So when I was really young, I started reloading with my grandpa for, you know, and I don't know, several several years, but you know, it was, you know, go a weekend here and there, you know, load, you know, 20 shells, 50 shells, stuff like that. You know, kind of learn the process, you know, I mean, I'm talking trimming cases by hand with the hand crank and, you know, blisters on my palms from spinning the, the, the case trimmer. <laughs> I thought of that when you mentioned the case trimmer, I'm like, man, I don't, don't miss uh, having the, the blisters on my palms from, from cranking on that uh, case trimmer. But uh, so then I kind of got away from it a little bit, you know, as, and you know, factory ammo was everywhere then. And then, you know, all of a sudden COVID hit, you know, three years ago, three and a half years ago, whatever it was now, all of a sudden you couldn't get ammo anywhere. And suddenly, thankfully I had all the supplies and I already had, you know, kind of had everything that I needed. And then I just kind of dove right back into reloading and I'm sure glad I did, but you know, that's, it's, it's weird how you know, I wouldn't say that I necessarily needed to, but I've, you know, changed so much since I started reloading and it turned into, you know, shooting more and, and, you know, reloading for multiple calibers and, and so on and so forth. 
um, just kind of snowballed into, you know, to today, but, uh, it's just funny how things change. And, and I'm sure there's a lot of people in the same boat because you look at all these new calibers that are out there these days, you know, you're never going to find a factory bullet for some of them. Did you always reload out of necessity or was it ever like out of enjoyment? Like, you know, people have their hobbies and things like that. I genuinely enjoy reloading. Yeah. So I do. Yeah. hundred percent. I, I, when I first started, like I would, uh, you know, you go out and you shoot a deer with that bullet, you just loaded and that, that was pretty fun to me. And I just enjoyed that. And, uh, you know, I don't know if it was just with, you know, sports and all the things that I had going on, you know, and as I was, you know, in my, you know, younger days, uh, I don't know if it was just that that got me away from it a little bit i didn't you know obviously i didn't hunt as much either so that's probably part of it too but um no i totally enjoy it now it's just it's just uh yeah it is just fun i don't know i mean it was sure frustrating at times when i was trying to figure it out but um once you get it figured out and you get a system and you know you get the get equipment that works for you uh and you and you start shooting some really tight groups and and start laying down coyotes when you put the crosshairs on them. It it's uh, pretty enjoyable from my perspective. Absolutely, dude. That's that's a hundred percent in agreement with me. Um, we we go as far okay, as like, so if we know we're gonna be on a set with the with the shotgun, John will run and yeah. reload. John will run and reload a bunch of rounds for the shotgun. To, so we we even reload the shotgun the Benelli nice what what do you guys shoot for a shotgun load uh four op buckshot with yep uh, i'm trying to think it's like 20 some i don't want to tell you how much of anything and blow someone up 800x for powder (laughs) yep yep no totally yep four buck yep that's that's what i shoot uh i've never shot a coyote with a shotgun well never never when i was coyote hunting but uh i've really struggled <laughs> John with, hasn't either. i've really struggled with uh the idea of like the other night i took it in a spot and i'm just like i wanted my rifle in my hands all the time but i'm like i just can't see very far and i want i don't know i'm just i'm so hung up on the the rifle shotgun both you know i don't know Do you and guys you're hunting any, alone uh, no i'm usually hunting with other people i usually have a guy at least one other guy with me but uh, I'm always running the call. So I'm always the one that gets in the situation where I need it, you know? Yeah. So like if, if I'm ever hunting and I'm the only gunner, then I'll definitely have a rifle. But so, so if there's the only time I'll take a shotgun is if there's a a rifle, if Keith's with, with a rifle, because I don't want to have to be transitioning or trying to move or throw down my rifle to pick up a shotgun or, I mean, there's plenty of guys that do it and they, it's more than effective for them, but it, it's just not, it doesn't sound fun to me. Yeah. I just feel like I'm always going to make the wrong move or I'm going to, you know, clank my rifle off my shotgun when I'm trying to transition or, yep. you know, yeah, we're, you know, our, we, our, all, our, we all, our first choice is always a rifle, but if there's two for of sure. us and we know we're going into a place, John will grab a shotgun for sure i i think we all at least for me i i grew up 
watching less less Johnson's videos and oh, yeah. the guy just made it look so easy switching from the rifle to the shotgun. Yeah. It just it just it, it's stuck in your brain like, oh yeah, I'll just take both, you know, no big deal. Right. Then yeah. you get out there. It's like which one do I hold on to now? <laughs> Easier said than done kind of thing. <laughs> For sure. Yeah, I think it would take some serious practice and uh getting comfortable doing it. But yeah, that guy's yeah, got it down. Know. Yeah, he sure does. It's uh it's crazy, but uh fun to watch. All right. Um the one thing the 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 question that so then okay, guy gets gets his reloading stuff, he he starts loading some ammo. Um, like I said, we're let's let's say in this situation which I think most people are, they're just reloading for their hunting. You know, maybe they shoot a couple hundred rounds a year, you know, let's say for a, let's say they shoot 500 rounds a year, which I'm guessing is a lot for most people that hunt strictly reload for hunting. Um, you know, we're how, what, what are your, what, let's say, okay. You obviously in reloading, there is, uh, you know, a, so many different things that that can affect your accuracy what are the are the main things or what are the things that you would emphasize people to make sure that they get right to to get uh somewhat of an accurate start quality components like good components i mean ones that match up to the caliber you're shooting and the twist rate of your barrel more than anything that's what i would say I mean, you don't want to freaking grab a some goofy ass pistol powder and try and shoot it out of your 250. You want to have something that's actually good for it or or a really slow burning powder for a a heavy bullet. And you're trying to shoot a light bullet out of a slow twist rate barrel or something different. Yep. Yep. Totally. Yeah. And and what I would I mean, if it was me, I would always tell them, you know, look at the manual uh fine and in today's world it's going to be okay what look at the manual what powder can you get and find your your accuracy load and then i would you know that's where i would start or for me i would i always started at the accuracy load maybe you guys would start at the top and work down i don't know how everyone i think everyone would just have a preference on how they would do it but for me it's always going to be the accuracy load and then i would just work around that what manual are you talking? I don't know if I've ever seen an accuracy load in a book. Like, okay, so like in the the Hornady reloading book, it's gonna say it's gonna list okay, fifty grain V max. It's gonna list ten powders. It's gonna list uh your max charge, your accuracy load, and your uh I don't know. I haven't even know what the last one would be. minimum three. Minimum might be the minimum, but minimum accuracy uh maximum like your your case volume for powder does that make sense yeah yeah that makes sense talking strictly talking strictly powder you know obviously okay so i i guess from your perspective what are let's say you know what are the few things to to really keep an eye on is it your you know your overall length is it your you know, is there, is there anything that you guys are, feel like, um, can really, after you have the right components, obviously that's, that's definitely going to be number one. Cause you're not, you know, all these things like these guys said can really throw you off. 
But does that make sense the way I'm wording that? Is there certain yeah. things that you guys would point people to, you know, instead of someone saying, oh, my, you know, I'm not close enough to the lands or I'm, you know, there's obviously there's a million different things that you can, you can try to nitpick at, but what are the main things that you would encourage someone to, to focus on to start? Just, I mean, to, just to start just per manual, like, I mean, the smart way to do it is start low regarding powder charge and then work your way up. But you want to make sure and look at like your case overall length. Yep. And make sure that you reload your, your, your reloading reflects that. Cause then you can always mess with your seating depth off of that. You know what I mean? Usually the specs to your overall length, is quite a ways off from jamming your bullet into your lands. If you have a traditional, yeah, you know, like more of a custom style rifle. So what I would, I mean, personally, what I do is, I, I mean, I just throw, I just start, I just find, a, I just go, all right, I'm going to throw a number. Yeah. I'm going to start here in the, mm. instead of right, right in the middle of the road, not on the high end of the powder, not at the low end, I'm going to dump a charge and I'm going to gas five rounds up. And if it shoots, then I'm good. If it wants to group, you can tell if it's starting to group. If it doesn't, then you just freaking pick another number. And yeah, then yep. if it then if you if it doesn't start working from powder, then you start looking at other stuff. That's what you I know. do too. Is I, uh, I I always start with a forty thousandths jump and powder right in the middle of what the book says is safe and give it a whirl. And if it works, it does. And then if it doesn't, then you can start. You know messing with it's seating your bullet out a little bit further usually kind of chasing yeah. the lands getting a little bit closer for sure how much does you know this this is actually a question that i have is how much does your uh primer you know obviously there's different kinds different qualities there's bench bench rest there's um whatever how much do the does your primer from your perspective, how much does your primer make a big difference in your accuracy? More than a guy would think. I, I think uh, you can make any primer probably work good, but if you're shooting one kind and then you go to switch, uh, it, it'll screw up your load. Right. For sure. Because it's going to change your pressure, right? Uh, you know, I don't know. Yeah, it, it will. I mean, I don't know if it, 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 I'm sure it will, depending on, you know, how uniform the ignition initially is. If it has a really uniform yeah. ignition, it, it's going to, it's going to burn up more powder more uniformly. It's probably going to give you a lot more steady pressure reading versus something that's erratic, which is why, you know, like right. John said in the beginning, you want good components. Like I, we used to have a reloading store here by me and I was into reloading a long time ago. I, it was the Lost best thing. And barrel. Yeah. It was the I best thing ever. There. I would go in there and just buy shit all the time. I would buy, I, I bought like 15,000 federal gold medal match two ten primers from them when, you know, you they were $25 for a thousand, 30, $30 for a thousand. Yeah. And those were, and I did a lot of research because the, the reason I went with those primers for large rifle was because I found it on sniper side. It was a thread on there and there was guys that wanted to know what the best components were for long range precision. 
And I'm like, dude, there they are. So I went and bought a whole bunch of them. And ever since then, that's kind of the number that I've just been after or the specific make and model for, you know, everything. Those large rifle primers, they'll work right. fine in my 308. They'll work fine in my sixes, 6.5s. So, and I use them in my 250. And they just seem to be really, really good. So, I mean, yeah, they're hard to come by. They're more expensive, yes. But ultimately, in the end, you get what you pay for. I mean, you go on Gunbroker right. now, and they're two hundred to four hundred dollars for a brick of a thousand. So you know, you're up yep. four or five times what they were, you know, six, seven, eight years ago. And it's not necessarily because of inflation; it's because of the demand and people are stupid enough to pay the yeah. price. But yep, that's that's uh, primers are a big deal. Uh, I mean, like for example, I have Federal Gold Medal Match two fifteens that I use in my three thirty eight Norma. And those are supposed to be a hotter primer. They have, you know, they're little, magnum. Yeah, they got a little more juice. They shoot yep. up in that case a little bit more, and they're supposed to have a little bit more of, you know, I would say a hotter ignition. And I actually get better groups with my 338 Norma with Federal Gold Medal Match 210s than I do 215s. Really? I didn't know that. Yep. Yep. And I'm using Vitivori, which is a pretty slow burning powder, Vitivori N570. Uh, I'm running like 89 and a half grains in that with 300 grain uh, burger OTMs. And I I actually found that out by mistake. I, I used the wrong primers in them and I shot and uh, I went and shot a group and it was all in the same hole. I mean, really damn close at a hundred yards. And I went back to the reloading room to reload. And I noticed that the inside of those primers were red instead of purple. Now, the 210s are red and the 215s uh-huh. are kind of purple. And I'm like, what the hell did I do? So then I had to go gas up some orange. And it, it was a better group from a little bit slower burning uh, primer. So that, that goes to show you right there that you're, you know, and could I work up a load that shoots just as good with the 215s? I probably could. But, I mean, it shot pretty good with them initially. And then it shot better with the 210s. So there's... There's something there, but it just depends on how much time and money and experimenting you're willing to do to find that little niche, you know, that little, that little tiny thing that's going to make you shoot a quarter inch versus a half inch or a half inch versus a three quarter or three quarter versus one inch. A lot of guys are perfectly content, perfectly content with an inch or three quarters and they're done. Or That's if they good. Could hit a paper plate. Yep. Yeah, or if they could shoot a pop bottle at <laughs> hundred, they're done. Uh, yeah, you're right. Do you guys have a general rule, like for your brass life? Do you prefer to only shoot your brass x amount of times? Do you have any yep. thoughts on that? Yeah, really? dude. As soon as your primer starts gonna, falling out, that's what I was gonna say. I'm like, I, what, what number did you come by? Because I always do it until my primers don't stay. Yeah. It always, it always goes, oh, that primer went in really easy. He goes, yeah. oh, we'll just throw it away next time. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. When is and, that next time? Or, or if if you shoot a different primer, sometimes you can switch primers and get another couple firings out of them. <laughs> but then you got to work up loads again. <laughs> no, that's that's oh. good though. Like we like I run Lapua brass, which is a pretty thick brass and a, a good brass. Yep. If I use Remington or Winchester to just junk brass, which we don't anymore, uh, you're looking at you're you're getting twice the life out of that brass just because of the quality of it. And there's one piece of Lapua over there that's got pretty bad case head separation that yeah. that yeah. we've you've had to have shot ten or fifteen times. 
So that's that there, there's no, I'm not keeping track, dude. You get to the point where, I mean, unless Especially you're on our 250s, you know, we all shoot them and it's who knows how many times we've shot each piece of brass. Yeah. Hey, I've got five pieces left. I better reload them. Or, yeah. Hey, I've got 10 left. I better they reload all get them. thrown together. And yeah, as far as the, our, our, our yeah, no. Ventress shooting totally. guns or steel guns. Well, we probably have a little better idea how many times we've been reloaded, but our hunting stuff, not really. Yeah, no, I don't either. I, uh, I just got thinking about it. I had somebody ask me the other day, you know, how many times you think you've shot this brass? And I'm like, I, I yeah. couldn't even give you a guess. Some of it I've shot once and some of it I've shot yeah. 10 times. Yeah. Primer's tight. So we're good. <laughs> yep. The primer's not falling out. We're going to rip it. And I mean, what, when you get to be doing that, you got to make sure that you're trimming your cases, but yeah. As long as your overall is good, then shit, you're good. I think. Yeah, I agree. I've, yeah, I agree. Especially for hunting. Like you guys said, I, uh, you, you'll see like, you know, on ultimate reloader or the, you know, guys on, on YouTube that will like color code their brass on their shots and, you know, get into some really crazy stuff. But, uh, you know, I, sometimes I get in the heat of the moment and I forget to pick up a piece or two. So. Yeah, I'm just like, well, I'll 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 take my losses. Uh, anything else? Any other thoughts you guys have on the the beginner reloading topic? I don't think so. Don't blow yourself up. Yeah, don't do not try to load for a big bore with pistol powder. Don't do it. <laughs> don't leave your powder in yeah. your freaking things either. Otherwise, you forget what they are. See, like, yeah, like I have. There's one two three four i have two like match masters couple charge masters and they have those tubes that are clear those those uh polymer tubes yep. that they're the, the powder popper well i just use yep. a dry erase marker and mark the what powder is inside of them so i don't forget oh that's a good tip yeah, i mean you, right you might with the dry erase marker and then yeah ultimately you probably want to have those emptied out but if you have a good environment like where i have mine upstairs and it's always warm and don't have to worry about moisture right. condensation i just leave it in there and i make sure and just have it written down what powder it is so that i don't get a mix up especially where we reload shit one of us is cycling through that powder weekly pretty yeah. much yeah. as opposed to some guys they might have it in their garage and yeah, they're going to yeah. use it once a year or every other month that's a long time to let it sit yeah, yeah. exposed anyway totally. yeah for sure for sure do you guys reload every week or do you ever like just sit down and just pound out a bunch or little of both it depends on like uh, depends on what you mean pound out a bunch like i have a dylan 650 xl and all yep. we'll, we'll gas up i mean uh, i mean I, I have a lot of nine millimeter rounds that are actually a good price that i got for that already loaded factory just for training and yep. shooting and trigger time but i also have probably close to ten thousand uh bullets and brass and primers and powder that i could gas up with that dylan so like there'll be times where we'll gas up it just depends on how how hard up we are for how if i want to use you know factory ammo or if i want to gas up rounds like that just to go get some range time with the bolt guns you know like when covid hit and i was out here i have 
man, I probably had 200 rounds of each gun gassed up. I had, I had a whole, I had a hundred of my 338 Normas. I had a hundred, 200 of my, uh, two sixties, uh, a couple hundred three Oh eights for my AR tens. So it, it just depends on what it's like. Usually I don't come in and just sit down and gas up a whole bunch. It'll be 50 a pop or something like that. And yep. Till we're, till like we're we're hunting, I mean, as far as if we're going hard, our night guns, I mean, James might need some reloaded. It might've been a good night the night before. So we'll throw 10 or 15 or 20 rounds together. And so we might be reloading every other day or maybe even every day on for like our hunting, hunting rifles, our 250s. But it's not, it's not a, a right. large amount. It might be 15 rounds. It might be 20 rounds. It's just depending on yeah. how, how it was the night before, I'd say. Yeah. Not, not to change the subject, but how has the uh, kill box been this year? Bad, dude. Can't, like, can't snowed in. Like, can't not anywhere. Not bad in a good way. Bad oh. in a shitty way. Yeah. It, it, they're, they're hitting it. They're hammering. We got some kills there, but we probably only killed a dozen. Just because it's so, there's so much snow, like we could walk yeah, up probably a good three quarters of a mile to get in there. But the problem is, is most of the time when we want to go in there, there's no wind, you got a crust on the snow and it's, you're, you, there's no way. You I mean, you're, 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 you're yeah. wasting your time. It's so loud. You just can't do it. Yeah, for sure. How has that changed things for you guys this winter? Just being, it's been, uh, it's been pretty uh it's been like a like i thought someone said like a 40 year snow like this has been you know for us dude for us it's a hundred year snow i mean i talked to my dad and my godfather and got people that the last snow that they saw like this and it wasn't even as bad it was like a two-day blizzard this was like a three to five day blizzard with fucking 60 below and 36 Uh inches i mean this was like a the, the last one that was even remotely close to this, they said was back in the late seventies. I mean, and it wasn't even, wow. and, and it wasn't even this, I mean, you, you're saying a 40 year. Yeah, but not, it, it's not, it's not the same, you know, it's ha- it was half of what this yeah. was. So it, right. it, it's, Oh dude, it, you, it puts such an impact on what you try to do because we can't get to the locations that we need to get to, to make our sets. You fit, you cannot drive there. You know, you could gear up on a sled right. and go, but by the time you're you're going through those conditions and I'm carrying my camera, my freaking battery smoked, which I'd have to put it in my pocket. And then the internals of your camera are freaking smoked because it's so cold. And you got shit all over you, yep. snow on everything, snow up in your mic. It's just, um, we killed a shitload of coyotes. I mean, nothing short than we usually do, but it's just put a huge damper on us being able to film what we want to. And now it's yeah. just starting to melt. And we're getting into calving. So this is usually the go time for thermals. This is usually when we really crush them and get really good videography regarding nighttime stuff. I got you. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, The snow definitely makes a challenge. But uh, when you're talking 36 inches of snow, you know, I can't, I've never seen that much snow. So I can't even, you know, I can't even imagine. You haven't either. Yeah, I mean, and, and I don't know if yeah. it's so much the 36 inches, it's the 40 mile an hour wind that we got with it for three or four days that yeah. just absolutely right. socked it in. It's, how did they even get their, how did they even get all the roads cleared eventually? Or, is, or did they, do they only get the main roads or the traveled roads or, or how does that go? 
Well, they got it. It took a couple of weeks. What we had to do was you just got out as soon as the snow quit and you'd take the loader tractor and hit ridge lines that were the past, literally the path of least resistance. And you try to blow a hole yeah. through what you could with your loader tractor and you were driving that way to get out to the highway. And it was that huh. way from for a few weeks until our, our county's broke, dude. We got it's a bad deal. But like we we got no huh. if if we want to get out, you're at the mercy of if your, your neighbors. Right, your, yeah, yeah exactly. I was, I was I was pulling my sled from town and dumping it on the highway 10 miles from here and riding 10 miles in just to get out here. Yeah. For two weeks straight. Huh. And it's, wow. it's, it's not even the, it's not even the 36 inches or the, whatever we got more. It's the fact that it never left. Yeah. We've had snow on the yeah. ground. So white for three months, dude. I like, I was watching a double that we got early on and it, there's no snow. And I'm like, it's, it's like a whole nother world. You're like, dude, you're so used to the white. And I'm like, man, what would it be like being able just to walk on dry ground without having to freaking trudge through snow? up you know? your knees yeah. and, and we're not com- complaining at all it's just it, it what it does to me is it makes me look way more for next year you know like what 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 you know we're just gonna yeah. completely crush it right totally yeah that video that you guys just posted the other day of uh john's double uh that was just before all the snow correct no, that was after, dude. That was 15 miles away where yeah. there's no snow. Exactly. Yeah, you go you go oh, 15 no miles. Shit. Yep, that's how drastic the change is. That goes to show oh, you how far we – that we our, our our quarters are tight, dude. We hunt not very far from where I live, 99.9% of the sets that we make. And it's just by design. You know, you see guys that will travel hundreds of miles, and, and I don't want to downplay that. But that's easy, dude. You're going into spots that you never heard a call before. I mean, you could fucking play a chicken on your call and yeah. you're going to call Try something it. in. And, and, yeah. and you're making 15 sets a day, 15, 15 minute sets. Yeah, it's it's a lot more meticulous. And a lot of people don't understand the amount of pressure that we're not only us, but we're implying a lot of pressure to a lot of different sets in the same area and still having you know, pretty decent success. And it's not because it's not so that we can go, Oh, Hey, you know, we're hunting high pressure area. Everybody else can hunt wherever it's easy. It's because it's our lifestyle and we've built a relationship with our neighbors that want shit dead. So we're, we're making a really good, uh, a really good relationship with them. And they know they'll give us strictly exclusive access as long as we're at the mercy of when they need it, you know, if they're like, Hey James, I got a problem here and they're 10, 15 miles away from where we live. We're over there all night long, taking care of their problems. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I think that that is one of the most interesting parts of what, you know, what you guys do is um, you do keep, you know, most of your killing and everything is all, local and it's not like you're you know you're covering a 200 mile you know circle and you know keeping all your spots fresh and hitting them once a year it's like you know i guess i don't know you know generally what your area but i know that it's all local to you guys and uh i think that that's a very unique thing and you know it is uh it is a challenge and 
you know, going to unpressured, untouched on, you know, I've done it. I've traveled, you know, I go to, I went to Kansas twice this year and it's like seven hour drive. I went there twice this year and, um, not that that's unpressured, but, um, it sure seems like it compared to, <laughs> to where I'm at, where I live. Um, but it's the same thing that you're talking about. Like where I'm at here, everything is so meticulous. It's thought out, it's planned, it's executed. And then when you go there, it's like, like you guys are saying, you know, 10, 12 sets in a day, you know, to play one howl, turn on rabbit, here they come. Like, yeah, you know, granted, it's not always that easy, but it's just a very, very different, uh, it's very different. Like, I think it's kind of the same boat you guys are talking. You just have to be, you know, you, like the way I feel about here is like, I just almost don't, I just almost don't have the ability to screw up and be successful. Do, if that makes sense. Do a lot of, do a lot of people call coyotes there? Yeah. I mean, I mean a ton, a ton of people. And, and we're talking like, uh, you know, like for the most part, like everything is fairly, you know, tracks of land are small, like, sure. like 40 acres, 60 acres. You know, someone has, someone has 300 acres. They got a shit ton of land here. Right. Right. You know, so you're talking like one, one square mile block might get called by six different people. Oh gosh. Yeah. Cause there's so many different landowners. So things are so and and it's gotten i shouldn't say worse it's i'm glad that people are hunting and it's sure. it's good for the sport i'm glad people are getting involved in it but it is making it more challenging for for everyone as a whole and yeah. you know i i can like i can think of 10 12 different guys that have just that thermal hunt in just the immediate area like it's i mean it's it's getting to be where you're hearing people calling at night you're seeing other people hunting you're going into spots and there's tracks where people already went in and called it before you. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's definitely different than, you know, it was just a few years ago. Yeah. Well, to put it blunt, it just wrecks shit, dude. You know, yeah. And when, <laughs> I mean, they're doing it the wrong way. It, it, yeah. <laughs> it, but I mean, and I, I don't want to make it sound like all we do is hunt high pressure stuff. Don't get me wrong. I mean, we get our, we get into a lot of the, I mean, there's, Half of the doubles or triples or quads that we kill are are novice coyotes. You know, they're coyotes that early early season pups that haven't heard it that you get away with a lot. But a lot of the doubles that we get are are coyotes that are mature that have heard it. It's just you know a different time of the year, breeding season, where we can change up the tactics yeah. or we'll we'll take the time and work them from a different angle. I mean, we get into plenty of them that don't commit. We get into plenty of them that sit there. Or, we, we walk into a set and there's coyotes right in front of us. And I mean, that's, they take off running yep. and we turn around and walk out, it, you know, it, it happens to everybody. I said it on an, on another yeah. one. I'd rather be lucky than good any day. And this year proves it because 90% of the sets that we've went into this year have had a coyote right in front of us when we walk in. I mean, we're in coyotes, but why couldn't that son of a bitch be, you know, a half a mile in front of us or 400 yards on the other side of the ridge sleeping instead of right in front of where we walk? Just, it's just, it's a luck, it's a luck right. deal. Yeah. Right. And in certain years, things are going to go your way and certain years and certain times, they're definitely not going to. Yeah. Uh, 
I saw your Instagram story here a couple of weeks ago. It must have been shortly after all the snow of the coyote running down the uh, the road. Has that been a big thing now that there's been that much snow or the coyotes all over the roads? Um, no, I wouldn't say no. So. That was just kind of that one was, of the things where he he was screwed. He's that was that was up. that was running down James James and John's driveway. That's how good a coyote hunter we are. <laughs> No, that's how deep that thing, the snow that thing was. knew he was safe when yeah. when he's got a freaking eight foot wall on each side of him of solid freaking ice what the hell is he gonna do he's gonna run under the pickup yeah. or he's gonna run away from it yeah no that was funny uh i, he, I watched that, that, that guy guy was <laughs> yeah i i assumed so <laughs> But yeah, no, yeah, I don't. That, th- I don't. That think... happens here when we get a lot of snow. Sometimes, yeah, I can see that, a lot. We haven't noticed that any at all, I guess. Yeah, it's it's not like they hang out on the roads for here. Right. It's like they it's like they just use them to get point A to point B faster, sure. because sure. or easier. Maybe it's maybe it's just easier. Obviously, yeah. you know, I would rather walk the road too than you know trudge oh. through thirty six inches of snow. But uh so one thing that we were kind of BSing about before we got on here was um, about suppressors and cleaning them, not cleaning them, and kind of so on that topic. So can you guys kind of break down the the cleaning versus not cleaning, um, what you need to clean versus what you don't need to clean um, when it comes to suppressors? Yeah, dude. Well, I'll tell you this first and these guys can tell you whatever they think, but like the way that I look at it is this, um, about three years ago, four years ago, two years ago, almost every year we do elk hunting here. We have, we have like a prairie yeah. elk unit and we get a ton of guys that, that draw, uh, cow tags, antlerless elk. So, um, yeah, we deal with a lot of fellas that aren't from the area the majority of them seem to be from east river back where the pop you know it's a little more populated probably obviously rightfully so they're better or they i mean they have a better chance at drawing more people applying back there but a lot of guys more more than one probably i would say close to four or five different dudes have came in and before we go hunt I make sure I'm like, dude, I'm not going to exert my time and energy. If you can't shoot, you know, if your shit's not sighted in and, and I don't mean that in a bad way. It's just, that should be your mindset. When you come in, you have your, have your fucking house in order, have your stuff ready to go get, you know, it, it's yeah. not my job to chase an elk that you can't hit. So we sit down, we prone out, we shoot. If they're not content shooting, we'll shoot it for them. And what that gets into what I'm getting at is a lot of, a lot of guys are running suppressors now. And a, a lot of guys are running a local guy's suppressor, which are, uh, he's a good dude. I, I, he actually is a dealer of my suppressors and I'm not even going to say, but, but one of their deals is, um, you know, a serviceable can clean, clean your suppressor. And the guys that out, two of the guys that order their suppressors, I was talking to, they're, they're a good can. The manufacturer is awesome. Nothing against anything other than what these guys were saying. Well, you know, we, we, we got these suppressors and we've got a couple hundred rounds down them. And they just sent us a letter in the mail that said, if we want to be able to make these serviceable, you know, as needed, then we have to clean them every 50 rounds. Otherwise they get carbon sealed and you can't break them apart. And to me, dude, that's just, it's stupid as shit. It, there's a certain point in time where 
your suppressor is supposed to work for you. If you have to work for it that much, you're taking too, you're wasting too much of your life messing with a dirty ass toxic shit that's coming out of a can that you have to clean every 50 rounds just so that you can break it apart. That's stupid, dude. Use it as a coon club. That's what you say. Take that bitch off and use it as a coon club. <laughs> but don't don't worry about it. Even if it is serviceable, shoot it. 5,000, 10,000 rounds. If it's getting too heavy and you're like, oh, dude, it's messing my stuff up, deal with it then. But don't deal with that every 50 to 100 rounds, man. You're you're overthinking shit. I, and I'm a thinker. I, I try I to think about gun that. Exactly. I, I clean my gun hard. I mean, I do. If, if I'm at 50, if I'm at 100 rounds in my gun, if it, or I miss or I shoot and it's not a group, I'll go back and I'll clean it. I'm pretty meticulous at that, but I'm not going to even consider that with a suppressor. That's just my two cents, especially on a center fire jacketed bullet on a high velocity jacketed round. No way. Nope. Don't, I wouldn't even consider it. I wouldn't even think twice about cleaning that thing ever um, until it freaking was so heavy that it was throwing my shit off, um, which is probably going to be 10 barrels that I've went through on that particular gun. The other thing uh, right. is if you're running a lot of subs, if you're running like we were talking lead cast bullets, 22 bullets, stuff that's really dirty. Yep. Get a serviceable can, get a little monolithic core 22 can. You can pull that bitch apart you can clean it. You, you know, service it, get it. But, but on a, on a, on a rifle suppressor, I, man, don't overthink it. You're, you're, or if you would rather do it, have fun cleaning it, but I, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to even think about it. I'm right there with James clean your 22 cans, clean your Empire cans, but uh, unless you're in the one tenth of one percent of people that shoots ten thousand rounds through a center fire suppressor, you you don't need to clean it. But tell them about your Thunder Beast deal. Like I, Thunder Beast is a good suppressor company, but just that say so they have a sealed they have a sealed suppressor, like basically a welded can that's not serviceable regarding disassembly. And what I, I run that Thunder Beast, it's a 30 BA. I run it on my seven millimeter. I run it on my 260. I run it on my six XC. I run it on my 22, 250. So it gets a lot of rounds put down it. it, it I use it to shoot matches in the summer and two, two rounds into a shooting match one summer, the end cap went down range and I sent it in to have them fix it. And luckily I finished the match out. It didn't shoot all my baffles down range and, uh, it didn't change my point of impact too much, but um, I sent it into them and they go, how long have you been shooting this? Cause they're like, this, this thing is full. And they said it, it gets too full and there's not enough internal volume and it spikes the pressure. And then that, they said, that's what happened. So once in a while, they're like, you should probably just fill it with CLR and then dump, dump it out, let it sit and, basically clean it so i i'll do that once in a while but i'm putting a lot a lot of rounds down that can so i don't know i mean yeah totally there's there's a point where you gotta clean shit but not like i said 99.99 percent of people aren't ever gonna shoot a can that much and you all they might not shoot that much in their life 
Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Now, that's what I'm saying. You, you have guys that come here elk hunting that I guarantee you aren't going to shoot a box of rounds out of their hunting rifle. Yeah. And then it's going to sit in their safe and they're concerned with cleaning a can every 50 rounds. That's a, that's dude, more power to the dude that sold them the can because that's how we did it. That's now, exactly how we did now it. Now they got to buy a tool. Yep. Then they got to buy a tool to break it apart. And they got to pay more for all the extra threads that they put on it so that they can take it apart. And the extra O-rings and the this and the that. But it's, it's. I mean, I'm not getting like, it's it's just strictly a personal preference. Um, if, if you don't mind doing that, by all means, have at it. But I'm not going to waste my life doing that. Not, not, I mean, I'll, I'll waste my life reloading. I'll waste it cleaning a gun. But I sure as hell ain't going to waste it cleaning a can every 50 rounds. No way. Even 100. Nope. Not maybe 10,000. Then I'll think about it. Then I'll just send it back to the manufacturer yeah. and say, press the baffles out and I'll pay you $300 to put new ones in. And basically that's what I did with Thunder Beast was, but they didn't charge me a cent to do it. They pressed the baffles out, upgraded it, sent it back and said, hey, maybe you should clean this once in a while. So, I mean, just cleaning the quiet out of it. Yeah. So I'll just let, I'll just keep shooting it and let them clean it for me again next time. I mean, yeah, if they yeah. warrant it to, to that, I would do the same thing what John just said, but that coming from a, a fully sealed suppressor manufacturer to clean it, then, I mean, I'm not saying that you, you shouldn't, but I mean, like we were talking earlier, a lot of that carbon is in there and it's caked so hard. I've talked to Doug at SRT arms that, by the time he breaks them apart and has to actually get that stuff out, he he literally has to pretty much bead blast those baffles. And when you bead blast it, you 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 take make that airborne. Yeah, you take you you base. Well, not only that, you take material off of the baffles. Oh yeah. So yeah. It, it, by the time he yep. wastes his time doing that, and then possibly almost you know decreasing the circumference of those baffles, they could potentially not fit back in there right. He just presses them out, tosses them, and puts new ones. Or, in. or you do what like Thunder Beast told me to, and fill your can with CLR and let it sit. But then you're you're putting in wh whatever the hell CLR is, and you're dissolving that lead, and you're dissolving all that unburnt powder, and that shit is literally like you need to wear a hazmat suit to be around it. It is it is bad news but plus i mean you're dissolving a lot of that stuff but i guarantee you we'll bore scope that and you have the stuff that's the, the yeah. heavy stuff still wedged up in those corners yeah, I don't that think carbon that burns in and turns to i mean it solidifies it turns to like concrete in there that yeah. you're not ever get that, that no sonic cleaner will get out you know Borderline literally diamonds yeah you literally have to have to bead blast it out in order to get it out of them come some of the, the crevices in those baffles yeah and uh tell me if i'm wrong but like especially for your you know your welded sealed can you in theory they do get a little quieter after they've been shot some, correct? Yeah, Absolutely. that's what Doug said, 100%. Yeah, you carbon coat those baffles, and it seals everything up, and you just get better sound suppression to an extent. Now, I haven't ever – I don't have a meter where I've, I've metered my suppressor throughout its life, but, yeah, that's that's coming from an engineer and multiple engineers that say that. The, the more, yeah, the, the first shots are the loudest, and, and, and you're – your visual signature are the worst because you know if you notice on a new suppressor if you ever kind of quarter in front of it while you're shooting or have somebody shoot it while you look at it you it, it emits a lot of visual signature sparks muzzle blast a lot of that stuff kind of eventually subsides as the you know you you get that those those baffles 
that blast baffle, all that stuff kind of coated up. For sure. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and you kind of mentioned it. Uh, what, what is your, what do you, between the three of you, what, what is your regimen or your routine mm-hmm. for cleaning your rifles? I'll clean mine when like it stops shooting it good. I, I've, I've, I've gone 300 rounds without cleaning my gun. For yeah, like, that's for, James is a lot more meticulous about it. I think the way, the thing that I look at is I don't want to miss because my gun wasn't clean. You know, so if my gun stops shooting good and I miss, then that sucks because I know I could have done proper prior preventative. Proper prior planning for this poor project. I could have, I could have fixed that. So I'm not saying that your gun's not going to shoot sub MOA after two or 300 rounds. I don't let mine get to that point. Um, but that's just me, you know, and I don't, I I do a lot of film and I do most of my shooting is either at night or on steel or just targets because I enjoy shooting. But, um, you know, I, I just, I don't, I I just fix it before it gets to that point. I know a lot of PRS guys are are from what I've heard do shoot a lot of rounds before they clean, but Hey dude, we're not shooting steel. I think a big part of it is, uh, not, necessarily how many rounds you put through it yes that plays a factor but the time frame of like like the deer hunter who shoots three times and then puts his gun in the safe if my gun's gonna sit for 12 months i'm gonna clean it but if i'm gonna shoot it again tomorrow night guess what Uh, probably not gunning unless i have quite a few rounds through it yeah that makes sense to me yeah, that I think that can be one of the worst habits to get into is to, you know, go out, shoot a box of shells or whatever, you know, I don't, and I don't know what the what the number is, but just in general, you go out and shoot some, put it back in the cabinet. I think your general, you know, a lot of deer hunters are probably guilty of it. You know, they're they probably haven't cleaned their deer rifle, and, you know, outside of oil on the outside of the barrel when they get it rained on. But otherwise, Ever. they're, you know, shit. Yeah. Like exactly. those elk hunters. I don't know how many elk hunters have showed up here and said, well, the last bullet I shot out of it killed the deer Yeah, three years ago, yeah. so we're still good. Yep. Yep. Ask them if it's on. Well, it was the last time I shot it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I like that one. Uh, yeah. No, I don't. But, yeah, that's funny. Um, okay, so this kind of all... Yeah, this kind of all leads into uh, what the kind of last part that I wanted to run into here with you guys. Um, You know, I want to talk about kind of some things that, you know, you can do with your your actions. Okay, I don't, you know, exclude your, you know, your top of the line equipment. You know, I want to talk about the things that you can do personally that are going to separate yourself from the rest of the pack. You're going to, you know just to give you that edge versus, you know, the next guy who's going to pull his rifle out, you know, once a year, you know, not, and not necessarily just about your rifle or your equipment, but your mindset, your actions, your, uh, your approach, uh, all kind of all these things that are kind of what I would call intangibles. I would say checking your zero is one of them, like one of them way up on the list, but you're not necessarily just, you're, you're, you're not just talking about that. I think he's saying like all three of us lift every day. 
you know, we, we, we take care of ourselves. I, I think that has a lot to do with um, being able to do what we do as far as yeah. health wise. I mean, we'll go into a set and it ain't nothing for us to walk in a mile. Yeah. Like today we just walked in Yeah, three quarters of a mile in deep snow, dude. Yeah. It's, I mean, we're not afraid to put miles in on our feet and, you know, drag, drag a half a dozen coyotes or whatever, a couple of coyotes out. I mean, right. Yeah, I think one like personally. Yeah, go go ahead. One of my things is like when what I when I'm gonna go into a hunt, right? Like, let's say I'm gonna go, you know, I'm gonna walk a mile back into you know my best spot, whatever. Uh, one of my things is like I like maybe I'm weird, but I think you guys are the same way. That's why I wanted to talk to you guys about this is like i'm like all right i'm drinking a i'm drinking my favorite caffeine source i'm you know listening to music i'm getting you know on the in the truck on the way there i'm like it's like i'm preparing for a football game like i'm just getting my mind right i'm getting focused i'm getting excited i'm getting you know thinking thinking running situations through my head uh you know things like that that i think that a lot of people, at least from my experience, you know, a lot of people, you go out there, they sit down and then they lay their gun across their lap and say, all right, when something comes in, I'll figure it out. Yeah. And it's just like, you know, I think that those people versus, you know, guys like you guys um, that are just there with a purpose, a plan, and you're there to execute it. And I think there's just a big difference in a lot of ways at least from my perspective, but I just want, I want to kind of hear what you guys think and do and feel about it. No, you're, you're right, dude. I mean, especially if you bring just the camera in, because if we were just going in to make a set, it would just be, it would just be normal. It'd be just like everybody else. We'd just go in there and we'd sit down, we'd make a set, we'd do our thing. But when you bring the camera and you try to capture the animal on film, you tend to think a lot more thoroughly on what you, you hope is going to happen. And you try to get it as close as possible instead of seeing it and shooting it at 300 yards, like a lot of guys will do and not think twice about it. So you, I mean, you, 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 you have multiple factors, you know, you want to try to stage the set. You, you're just more meticulous with the set. You, you have to work the coyote a little bit more. You try to work the coyote a little bit more. You can, you know, be as, you know, might kind of sound arrogant when, when a guy says that, but ultimately that's the goal in the end. And you, you, you don't, you're just not going to get that unless you, you know, unless, unless you're trying to do something extra, the little extra, that little extra, you know, you've heard it before. That little extra makes the, the the extraordinary. It takes an ordinary situation and makes an extraordinary. And that's what my goal is. You know, I want to get pupils. We want to get a, a, a really awesome visual perspective that most guys might only see once or twice in their life without a camera. You know, and they might see yeah. it on our kid and go, oh, dude, I remember one time I did that 10 or 20 years ago. Well, you know, that's our goal every single set. And and I see this a lot. I mean, it, it happens about every set, but James James runs a camera 90% of the time during the day. Uh, we'll walk into a set and, and we could set down right here at this certain spot, but 
300 yards further, there's a better spot. It takes a hill out of the play. You know, the coyote, if he comes in from a certain direction, isn't going to go out of sight. You'll, you'll keep him on camera the whole time. Well, if that spot three, 400 yards further that we have to walk, that we'll do that. We'll walk to that spot. You know, we're going to, we're going to pick the best spot for that camera. And, and anybody, whoever's running the camera that day, 90% of the time it's James. I mean, he's the boss. I mean, he tells us when we can shoot. I mean, we, so we set the camera and, and the shooters will set up around the camera. And yeah. And if that means that you have to lay in a wet snowbank or you got to yeah. lay in a puddle, yeah. then more often than not, that, you know, end is how put, it goes. Putting that camera on set is just a whole nother ball game. It's, it's like having another, you know, two people on set for say. And, and it's not just the, I mean, there's a lot of guys that film and that's awesome. And a lot of guys that are getting into it, but there's a difference between like filming just to kill and filming as a work of art. It's just how it is. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's, there's, yeah, there's an artwork there that you don't just, I mean, you, you can acquire it for sure. But I mean, like when we went in just the other day, we got all of our gear on, we got the Everly stocks, we got the camera in the back, the rifles in the back, the call in the bag. And you know, we're, we're walking into a spot that we've never called before. And you just can visually pick up where the camera is going to go. All right. The wind is this way. And this ridge line right here provides us the necessary venue, the visual that we need to have if we're going to make it happen. You know, and it's like Keith said, you know, if we have to go an extra 400 yards, to that next ridge, that extra half a mile to that next, I mean, preferably not because then you can be busting a lot of stuff out. But we we literally prepare ourselves for that just so that we can get that extra, that, that cool stuff, that extraordinary yeah, and footage. And as far as doing that extra, yeah, we might be able to shoot that first coyote for calling in multiples. We might be able to shoot them at 200 yards, but say the second or third one's still out there 400. I mean, we're going to work those coyotes and, and be patient and, and, and get those coyotes, you know, under 100 yards just, just for the, you know, the footage you know we're not gonna right start blazing at a coyote that's 200 yards out there when we could keep working him or be patient let the coyote do its thing and and maybe get that second or third one in close enough that we can follow up or, or have success at a, a double or a triple right and i don't think people probably realize you know watching your videos you know maybe i'm sure you know some people do that that understand the the production side of it but also the time that you guys have to put into each of those, the time and the thought that goes into, to making and, yeah. and creating this, this scene and, and laying it down the way you yeah. imagine. And like, it, like John said, I think John might have, or James said earlier, I mean, yeah, we can make 10 sets a day, but when we're doing the foot, the filming and whatnot, if we get more than two or three sets in a day, then we probably didn't kill anything, you know? We'll, we'll, we'll go ahead and make right. a set. If you're going to make, make a production out of something, you're there two or three hours, you know? Yeah, totally. I, yeah, totally. Yeah. You, Cause you said it in that last video, you said, well, we could go make another stand, but no, we're going to, we're going to stay here and we're going to make a production. Yeah. You do it right the first time. And, 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 you know, sometimes it, yeah, you want to just go kill something, but that's not really what we're about, I guess. Right. Well, I'm about killing. That's shit. what. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that's uh Yeah, 
Who, I mean, who we got thermals. Like we got thermals for that shit. That's true. Good <laughs> yeah, point. exactly. Uh, do you guys have any weird or any specific Fetish? like pre hunt pre hunt regimens, or is it a lift? Is it a is OCD it a shit? John, John's gonna smash bangs over his head and chug them. Uh, you know, is there anything that you guys do to kind of prepare for you know mentally? for your hunt it's already (laughs) installed dude it's been installed a long time ago like i'm goal oriented i always try to set new goals every year almost every day whether it's wake up do my sit-ups right away or wake up and freaking you know get earn something somehow like it's just like he said we work out this year what i started doing just because I wanted to, I'm always about, like I said, trying to make myself do things that I don't want to do. Like the cold plunge. Yeah. Deal. We're into like, ice stupid. baths, man. We're into the ice baths. Like what the hell? I yeah, did that. I, I decided. That. Yeah. I mean, I just decided to do that as a new year's resolution. I'm like, I'm just going to start taking a cold shower every morning. This is, I'm going to start doing it. I don't want to. I, the last damn thing anybody wants to do when they wake up is get their ass in a cold shower. Mm-hmm. You just don't want to do it. And then it just turned into, all right, now I don't wake up in the morning and take a cold shower. I freaking go out and sit in a cold tub for 10 minutes or 12 minutes or five minutes just to do it. And you get used to it. It's, it's just, you know, health benefits. Yeah. I heard there are some, but mainly dude, it's making yourself mentally strong, do something that you don't want to do, you know, like discipline yourself make yourself better. And that goes with everything in life and, um, you know, lifting something always done. You know, I, I, dude, when I was in high school, I think I was a freshman. I, I, uh, for Lent, I gave up pop and candy and I haven't freaking looked back. I mean, how many people just do little things like that and just give it up forever? I mean, I'm not, it's not for over ever yet, but all of that plays a part into what you're capable of later on in life and being able to, you know, just kind of be a little bit stronger mentally, have a little bit more of a mental edge, being able to just flick the switch and go, all right, I'm going to do this and already make yourself physically capable. Like what we've been doing, training our bodies for, it just gives you the added benefit to be able to do what we can do. And it's not, um, you know, you know, bragging or what I always say, beating our chest and look what we look like, look what we do when you don't, it's, it goes hand in hand with our lifestyle, man. I'm moving every day, every day. I'm not in an office. I'm not sitting down. I'm up. I'm getting in the tractor. I'm feeding. I'm out of the tractor. We're loading salt or mineral. We're standing for two or three hours, sorting calves like we did today, sorting replacements. We're fixing fence. It's a physical lifestyle. So it just makes sense yep. to train your body for that. And, and, it, and you know what? It makes more sense to train your body for that if you don't have a physical lifestyle because then you're just a more healthy person. So yeah. it's all there, man. It's been installed in within us a long time ago. We're just trying to maintain it with age ultimately. You know, for, I'm, yeah. I'm going to be 43 um, and I can feel the shit. My knees, dude, everything. It it just I don't when I go lift, I don't want to throw three plates on and bench. My shit shit hurts now. But I have a mental fetish yeah. where I'm like, dude, I have to make myself do it because if I don't, 
then I know I'm getting older and I'm getting weaker. Exactly. Use it. Exactly. Use that shit or you lose it with everything. Muscle memory, shooting, reloading, uh, editing, hunting, filming, lifting. You, if you don't use it, then you forget. What did Arnold say? Uh, I, I don't like to be comfortable because once you're comfortable, it's too easy to stay there. Yeah, exactly. That's that's right. You yeah. get content with just being content, and you're just like everybody does it. The guys that don't do it are the guys that are noticed, man, and the and the guys that are hated because guys can't be like them. You see those guys that are freaking big time dudes making millions of dollars. They keep rolling. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, and it it comes to the same. I see it a lot. Uh, as you know, as we talk, you know, we kind of talk about your, your, your hunting pressure, your, you know, the challenges that come with hunting, right? You get 36 inches of snow, you, you know, you, someone else is calling your spots, you know, the different things that come with hunting, but you know, there's so many people that will just look at that and say, ah, you know, that's too hard for me. I'm out, you know, and I think that that's a big thing to me is, you know, I think what I hear a lot is, oh, the snow's loud. I'm not going, you know, I'm done. You know, I'm not going to go until the snow's gone or something like that. You know, just, you know, people finding an excuse instead of improving, instead of finding a way to. Yeah. Don't, don't find an excuse, find a way. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. That's, that was, uh, that was what I told, uh, I told this one to James on, on our last podcast, actually, that that was what my high school coach always told me was, uh, if it's important to you, you'll find a way. And if it isn't, you'll find an excuse yeah. and it couldn't be more true. And especially in today's world, it's like, you know, it, it, people are going to find. It's too easy for people to find excuses anymore. Exactly. Exactly. You know, I, I've, I've started hearing it a lot. Like I, I mentioned, you know, the hunting pressure, the things, whatever, you know, I'm just going to find new ways to, you know, to, to be, you know, not saying, you know, that I'm better than anyone, but I'm going to find ways to be creative or get myself in position to be more successful than the next guy. Yeah. Uh, John and Keith, you guys have anything to add to that? You guys have any, you know, pre hunt regimen, any, you know, superstitions, anything like that, or, uh, anything to add? I don't, I don't think so. I don't, I don't have any, I don't know. I like to have an energy drink, but I'm not too concerned about it. Well, maybe sometimes I'm pretty concerned about it. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, there's nothing wrong with that though. Like just, just be having your mind, right. You know, I mean, whatever that means, if it means having some caffeine, if it means listening to, you know, some, head banging music whatever you know i don't know everybody might have their own weird thing or you know whatever makes them tick you know yeah no uh i like that and um yeah i just think that those things are just so prevalent you know anymore obviously you guys see it all the time and uh you know i another thing that i you know believe is you know, you guys maybe give me your opinion on this, but I think to an extent, you know, some people just have it and some people just don't like there's guys who are killers and there's guys who just, you know, have, have a hard time with it. 
we've we've seen a few of those in the, in the with all the elk hunters that come out we've seen seen our share of people that just don't got it yep yeah yep. It's just, um, just i don't even know yeah that's true dude <laughs> the worst the worst is when they think they got it and don't yeah if you yeah, want your take fix, sure. just leave it here. here you need help <laughs> let me know yep. <laughs> yeah for sure for sure uh well we can uh we can start wrapping it up guys i know uh it's uh it's getting late and uh you guys probably got other other things to you guys get your lift already do you do that in the morning or uh just depends it depends on yeah so whenever there's free time sometimes we'll hit it up early and sometimes we'll like we 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 went out and made a set this afternoon and then we got in a little bit late we hammered some weights and did cold plunge a little bit later tonight so we're 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 done with it for now nice all right well i will uh let you guys go and uh thanks for thanks for joining me before i let you guys go though uh give us a plug to uh, your instagrams and stuff so we can get you guys get get my guys over there to follow you yeah, John Keith can go first and all. Um, mine is ops underscore pro staff on on Instagram. And I'm O'Neill Ops underscore pro staffer on Instagram. And mine is just O'Neill Ops, all lowercase, all you know, no spaces, O'Neill Ops on Instagram. Yep. And uh obviously you gotta go check out their YouTube channel if you haven't yet. Uh some of the best coyote footage you're gonna see. Obviously, we were just talking about it, kind of the, all the things that go into it. Uh it, it definitely shows and uh it's uh second to none. So I would uh I would check it out. And also a lot of good other videos, a lot of different stuff, reloading, uh podcasts, all the good stuff. Uh they got it. So I really appreciate these guys taking their time tonight to join me and uh shoot the breeze and talk coyote hunting and uh you know all the things that come with it yeah we appreciate it drew anytime dude yeah thanks buddy yeah appreciate it guys uh keep uh keep pounding here in the uh calving season and uh we'll keep in touch and uh talk soon all right yeah it sounds good any anytime if you want to do another one just let me know. Big shout out to the O'Neill Ops guys, James, John, Keith, some of the best dudes uh, that I've had the chance to sit down and talk with. I really appreciate their time and go make sure you give them a follow on Instagram. Uh, check out their YouTube channel, subscribe and follow them along on all their adventures. They have all kinds of cool stuff and that is going to be the end of season one of the predator podcast so like i said a lot of big things coming for uh next season and in the meantime keep in touch with me on instagram so in the meantime everybody shoot straight